morning. Good to be here. I know Dr. Holmes is going to be here in a couple of minutes. I'm Joan Hogan, welcoming you to the Prairie Doc Radio. And because Rick Holmes is not on time, his lovely wife Joni is here. Joni is a nurse practitioner with the Avira Medical Group Brookings. Welcome, Joni. Good to have you here. And uh, your husband's going to be along shortly, right? I have no clue. Oh, <laughs> well, he is your husband, you know. Fine man. Well, you know what? We're talking about uh, tomorrow night. I know he will be at the program because tomorrow night on South Dakota Public Television, he'll be talking about preventing infectious diseases. This is something that's right up your alley, isn't it, with the young children? Yes, and we are certainly seeing a lot of, well, we always see a lot of viruses, but um, fevers, kids that are really... Yeah, feeling really crummy, acting sort of influenza-like, but I don't think we're really in the influenza uh, hardcore yet. We do recommend immunizations, vaccines for influenza by all means, but there's just something going around that's hanging on two to three weeks, so it's a little tough on people. Well, Dr. Holm just arrived. Welcome, Dr. Holm. I got lost in my writing. I'm writing about trephination. About what? You don't go there, please. Don't go We're there. talking about <laughs> infectious diseases today. Okay. I just got lost in my writing, and that's what happened. I Rick does a lot of, uh, he, well, he does an editorial for every single television program. We're talking about tomorrow night's television program, which is on infectious disease. You probably wrote the editorial for that a week ago. Two but weeks now, ago. Yeah, but now you're two weeks ahead writing editorials, and that's we'll, what's we'll eating that up. So we'll we won't talk about the new editorial now. right now. But uh, maybe since you just got here, we'll give you a break. We now have the two homes with us. We're going to take our first break. And when we come back, if you have any questions, you might want to give us a call at 692-1430. We'll be back right after these words. Hi, welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. This is Joan Hogan. I'm very pleased to have both Dr. Holm and his wife, Joni Holm. Both of them are practitioners with the Avira Medical Group Brookings. And uh, it's good to have you both here. Before Dr. Holm came in, we were talking about your program tomorrow night, which will be on infectious diseases. The most important thing to tell people right now is get their flu shots. I think that's really the correct thing. And, uh, uh, you know, of the... the the things that we're going to talk about tomorrow night, we're going to have two infectious disease people that uh, uh, will be uh, on a, uh, the head of the pediatric department at the USD Sanford School of Medicine, Dr. Chatterjee, and we'll have the infectious disease adult doctor, Dr. Nazir from Avera, and the two of them will be talking about, you know, we're going to go everywhere anybody calls and asks us to go. But we'll talk about the major epidemics that have been occurring in the last 10 years. We'll talk about the Zika, we'll talk about Ebola, uh, we'll talk about the potential of a spread of, of the new kind of an epidemic that will and or one day occur. You know, the danger of an epidemic is real and uh, we don't always have any antibiotic to treat against a viral epidemic like Ebola, there's no antibiotic, it just... Because it's a virus. It's a virus. So <clears throat> we have to be ready to have some plan if it hits the United States or Europe or the world, how do you isolate it? And the biggest treatment we have, the best treatment we have, the only treatment we really have to prevent is to prevent the virus with a vaccination. And thank goodness we have 
vaccinations. They have stopped tremendous uh, continuation of recurring epidemics. But uh, the, the take home is uh, that vaccinations have saved, saved, saved lives. And all this rumor about it being dangerous is that, yeah, there's little danger in almost anything. But, uh, you know, the, the true, the biggest danger to children in particular uh, is the infections that we have been able to stop by the It's uh, just amazing. Joni, in your practice, uh, you see mainly children in your practice. Do you still have mothers objecting to vaccinations? Or overall, has that period kind of passed and they recognize the importance? I think it's... Uh, often a very location-oriented subject. South Dakota has never had a strong uh, group of people that have avoided. I mean, there are an isolated few who choose not to or choose to uh, sort of write their own schedule, feeling like sometimes too many vaccines are given at once. But I don't think it is anything like California where it becomes a group mentality that it's all wrong and that hundreds and hundreds of people choose not to vaccinate. So in general, it is not a big problem here. People are good. highly vaccinated. That's good to know. That for the majority, uh, the, the majority have seen the, 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 the science that's behind it, looked at the data, looked at the goods and the bads of it. Uh, you know, and, and vaccinations are not always equally effective. If you look at the shingles vaccine, uh, it, it, it doesn't uh, uh, protect you completely from getting the shingles. It reduces the incidence in half. And then when, uh, after you get it. If you get it. If you get it, uh, and then you come down with the shingles, it reduces the post-herpetic neuralgia in half. So that which it, is the painful aspect. Which is the worst miserable pain people have from this thing. So I think that's really good news, uh, that, uh, that it helps, and therefore it's worth doing. But, you know, to say that uh, they're 100% effective, uh, well, they're not. And to say that they can be overall wonderful, and the answer in that one is yes. You know, uh, while you were talking, Dr. Holm, a caller... Uh, called in with a question. Right. And the question is, over six years ago, he or she got a pneumonia shot. Is this good for a long time, or do, does it need to be replaced? Right. And uh, does, how old is the person? Didn't give an age. But they so if had they a pneumonia shot over six years ago. Here, here Probably is... Probably they were o at 60 at the time, at least, when they got right. it. Right. So the government, uh, in the form of Medicare coverage, would repeat it if he was she was 60 when they got her 61 or 62 or 63 or 64 if she got it at 65 she or he then they won't repeat that pneumovax but they were will give you the prevnar there are two of them available now pneumovax which is a 23 valent adds 23 version and uh prevnar which is 13 Joni? yes 13 valent has 13 uh, forms of that bacteria, pneumonia bacteria, but it, ha it it works in a different way, and so the Prevnar, their thinking is maybe a little bit better, uh, but it, uh, and so if you're going to pick as you turn 65 which one to get, get the Prevnar first and then wait a year and then get the Pneumovax. If you've got your Pneumovax already, then, and it's been more than a year, get your Prevnar. 
Okay, so in her case, even though the shot is good, she'd be even much better off to get the second one. Get the second one. So okay. if she got it after 65, get another uh, Pneumovax. But let's wait on that one. Get the Prevnar. Wait, 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 over 60. If she, if, if she got the pneumonia vaccine, the Pneumovax, before she was 65, then she gets the Prevnar, wait a year, get the Pneumovax. Again. Again. Okay, time. so it actually could be three shots then. Yeah. Oh. oh. She uh, can, now the, the government will pay for a Pneumovax and a Prevnar after 65. If right. we Only one. If we took away government and just the need, just the need for the shot, what's your advice then? I think that uh, uh, if as you get older, you lose your effectiveness so I think it's pretty close to what my advice would be which is if you got it as a younger person get a, another pneumonia uh, the pneumovax about five years apart well five years or into your 60s late 60s and into your 70s uh, but right now Prevnar looks to be and most everybody has not had the, the Prevnar as an adult they had it as a kid or no, no. their kids had it they didn't have it right back then now so, my question So get the Prevnar okay. first and then the Pneumovax after 65. Now I didn't call in this question but let's pretend I did. I have no idea what shot I got. I don't know how many years ago I got it. Yeah. Uh, will that be in my doctor's <laughs> records? Well, yes. How am I going to find out? Yeah. Cuz I didn't be I know I got the shot at a, at a um, pharmacy but they would have sent that information to the doctor. Maybe not. Oh, then so I have to go back to the pharmacy and yeah. find out. But let's put it this way. Uh, you did not, you know, Prevnar has been available about a year. For so adults. I did not get a Prevnar no. at all. So in my case, I should go in and get a Prevnar and then a year later get, get the a Pneumovax. Second. Unless you were 65 old or older with the first Pneumovax, and then you wouldn't repeat it. Got it. Okay. <laughs> I think I got it. Isn't that well, at least if you, if you did it through your clinic, then they'll tell you when you had it. But if you're like me and just know you got it and can't remember the time or frame or whatever... But uh, it must have been before you were 65 because you're very young. Oh, I'm such a young kid. Right? Well, <laughs> most often we are recommending that people go in for a regular physical for a health checkup when you're in that 65 or older. Yes, right? I mean, yeah. so if you're going in for an annual exam, both men and women, talk with your provider about where you stand on all your vaccinations. vaccinations. That's a good idea. Something I probably should do. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, we'll take our second break. Again, we'll be back right after these important words. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Joan Hogan, and in the studio with me are both Dr. Holm and his lovely wife, Joni, both of them medical practitioners, and both of them ready to answer your questions of a medical nature. We've been talking about infectious disease because tomorrow night on South Dakota Public Television, Dr. Holm on his on-call TV show will be discussing infectious diseases with a prime doctor from Sanford and a fine doctor from Avira. Who else gets those two together on yeah. one stage? <laughs> Only our Dr. Holm. Good for you. Yeah. Glad to have them working together. Yes. Uh, we, we do have a call that has a question about a heart rate. What causes a fast heart rate? Sometimes I can feel my heart beat quickly. Then in a minute, the feeling is gone. Should I be worried? Should I do anything about that? <clears throat> it's the... the the answer to that question is a two-year lecture. It's just wow. anything and everything. You Gee, can we be, only have about 15 minutes yeah, left, right? No, no. So the answer is it could be anxiety. Somebody gets nervous about something. The more you think about it, then the more your heart rates. You over-breathe. You hyperventilate. 
uh, and your heart rate races and catches up into your throat. Or, you know, you could be having extra beats that are chaotically, sporadically going, which mean nothing. The vast, vast majority of, I mean, if you do a Holter monitor on college kids and middle-aged people and older people, they'll have chaotic rhythms all over the place and people go, oh, I'm, my heart's racing. Uh, but there's other things too. There's short circuits in the electrical systems. There are signs of an, you know, an, a response for any kind of heart disease of any kind that can cause these things. So the, the long answer is it doesn't, I it can't answer that yeah. answer in, from a radio. You need to talk to your doctor about that. That's a okay. very important personal question, but you have to gather in when, do they, when does it occur? What does it follow? Is it after a brisk walk? Is it sun, when you're laying there and thinking and worrying about your kids? When is this happening? And the, the whole story really will tell you the most uh, on this. So if this is happening, just keep kind of keep track of it for about a week. Make an appointment with your doctor, and then come in and show them when you're getting this. Right. And that would then you'd be able. To, you can't diagnose over the radio on this one. Too many things. No. Okay. Anything and everything. Anything and everything. And nothing. Okay. We have another, and this is probably going around now. I'm in my late 70s, good health, but lately I have a cough that just won't go away. Right. Worth seeing my doctor or just an inconvenience of aging? No, it's probably worth seeing your doctor. It is. Uh, okay. In your late 70s the most, the 70s? most common, The most common cause of a cough is, of course, a viral respiratory infection. Nothing you can do about that except cover your, hand, uh, cover your cough and then wash your hands or, or use the sanitizer. But... <coughs> Uh, if you're a young person and this is lasting more than two weeks, then it's almost always uh, either a, an allergic process that's causing nasal drainage, it's heartburn that's happening at night and you don't realize it, or it's low-grade asthma. Those three things are the chronic cough causers. When you're 70, you know, it might be something else happening in your lungs. And that could be medication-related as well. Yeah, and medication. What what medicine are you thinking? Lisinopril. Right. One of the, the major high blood pressure pills that we use, the number one blood pressure pill we use, causes a hacky cough. It does. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. So Interesting. So uh, lisinopril or any of the prills, captopril, you know, a bunch of uh, prills. But... Um, you know, you, you always worry, is there something sneaking around in, his, in the lung? Did you go, have you been recently in, in the valley and got valley fever? And I'm not talking Sioux Valley. I'm talking, <laughs> uh, you know, Arizona. Arizona. It could have been a year ago, Arizona Valley. It could be cancer, you know. It could be uh, chronic obstructive lung disease from a lifetime of smoking. Or, uh, so know, it could it be a lot of things. Got to go in and right. see. That's a that's a go in and see your doctor. Chronic cough, you should see your doctor. <clears throat> but the real unknown is the heartburn, which sometimes re re relates to obesity and sometimes relates to obstructive sleep apnea. Okay. So those are uh, clues to potential causes. You know, just before you came in, Joni was mentioning some kids are coming into the clinic with different things. I know I had a weird thing that lasted for a day. And then about a week later, my son had the same thing, and it lasted three or four days. And it was just, I woke up in the morning, I was so weak. I just couldn't stay awake. There yeah. was no reason for it. Right. I kept sleeping. I thought, I'll never sleep tonight. Slept like a rock. I mean, it just, <laughs> I, was, I wasn't sick. I wasn't nauseous. I just had no energy, weak as could be. Next day, I was okay. 
Tim, of course, he works a lot harder than I do, but it hit him, and it lasted almost three days where he just barely could get moving. Yeah. Is that a virus going yeah, around? Absolutely, a viral yeah. uh, process. You know, you, it has every character to it. Of course, I haven't proven it with viral culture. But no. the point I'm, I'm making is... More than likely is a virus. Yes, and, uh, you know, you, you uh, think about it. Uh, it might be, you know, a flu, shot, a flu virus uh, comes in with this profound weakness, fever, uh, running, uh, uh, sore throat for one to three days. Profound weakness is the big part, you know, and even a fever. And then you have a hack hacky cough for two weeks. Oh. And the rest of it goes away. Now that's a flu virus type. That's a that's a that's flu a virus. A flu <coughs> virus. Cold. Okay. But then you know, there's so many viruses do weird things. You know, encephalitis, brain virus, comes hits you. You have these weird neurologic things that are just there and then go away. Goes away. away, and you don't know what it was, and it's gone. It's more the likely a virus, right? Yes. So I mean, w uh, you you can even have transient arthritis symptoms. Hmm. Uh, Joni, what is your thought about that? Well, I was just thinking of a little one I saw in the last couple of days that uh, was uncharacteristically quiet, just laying oh. on the exam table for a three-year-old, and that's not the norm. No, three-year-old. No, three-year-old. At sudden onset, just went to daycare, got called, and he's sick, 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 and, and just not moving, um, and worked him up, and of course, what was it? Strep. That the, the, the common problems are common. And even though I, I did an influenza test and I thought strongly about influenza because of the way he was acting, it was strep. It was just strep. Yeah. Okay. So, um, it and that's always out there, folks. So it's worth getting checked. Okay. Okay. There you go. But uh, some would say it could have been a virus and you just caught that 20% that carries strep all the time. So I'm just... I mean, yeah, you know, of course, can be. we can debate and, and argue that, but there is an indication for an antibiotic. But then there's also the concern that uh, we always have about uh, overusing antibiotics and using them only when they're absolutely needed because a percentage of people will get a complication from an antibiotic. You know, a common cold, for example, gets no better, f and f people don't feel any better from an antibiotic. And <coughs> if you... Uh, look at all of the pneumonias, which are bacterial pneumonias. They commonly will follow a viral cold. So some people have the idea, well, you'll take an antibiotic, so you won't, it won't move into a bacterial, and, uh, and the bacterial process. And the studies show that it doesn't reduce the bacterial pneumonia that follows the viral respiratory infection. It just, you get a viral, you get a bacterial infection, a pneumonia that's resistant. And uh, so, you know, uh, for example, person to me went to her, his good doctor and she said to him, <coughs> you have viral sinusitis. An antibiotic is not gonna make it better. You just you use the neti pot and live with it. <coughs> and, uh, and your best protection against trouble is to leave your normal flora, the normal bacteria that protects our, our insides of our nose and our throat and our lungs and our GI tract and all that, leave them alone. Let them be defense against invaders. And so he was happy to go without the antibiotic. And I'm, I'm he, happy to say that. that now, I have a son-in-law who uses a neti pot. <coughs> I had never heard of it until he used it for allergies. Can you explain to people what a neti pot is? Well, Joni? Well, there's a couple of different um, 
products, but basically the concept is that you're cleaning out the inside of your nose. And I find it particularly effective and helpful with people with allergies because you know we talk about all of the allergens and the pollens that are out there you can see pollen sometimes on covering your car well certainly it's covering the inside of your nose so uh, it's a, a mechanism to flush water in one nostril and out the other and clean out the nose um it almost looks like a little teapot, doesn't it? That's, there's, that's one of the forms. Okay. There's a lot of them. There's oh, one right. that's just a bottle that squirts up in there and drains back out. So you're in, you, mostly you're in the shower or you're over a sink, and you gently, not harshly, but gently spray this, not perfectly, uh, not just water, but oftentimes a little bit of salt in it, you know, saline, which is like a teaspoon per gallon. I mean, not a lot of salt. And then you gently push it in one side and it just drains out the other side and it washes all that rinses out all, all that the things that shouldn't be the there car, you know that yeah. all that crap that shouldn't be in there and you think i mean you think about babies and and little ones who can't get that stuff out and we use those bulb syringes and all those things right. it's in a sense like that if we could do a neti pot on a baby we could get that junk out of there but we can't so it's it's a bulb syringe for an adult yeah. there you go but okay. you blow it out well, I knew you mentioned neti pot, yeah. and I thought there are people, people like me that have never heard or seen, yeah. and our son-in-law uses it for allergies yeah. and finds it much better than be taking, doesn't want to take shots or whatever, yeah. and it be really gentle. does, be gentle. does help them. And you can go buy them at the grocery store, at the pharmacies. They Any all have Any pharmacist will explain and they have to you instructions what it is. And how to make the, they'll give you, the expensive thing is replacement of these sterile uh, material saline. and sterile saline and you add that but I think we your live nose with is not very sterile no your nose <laughs> is not sterile so water but you use the, the material that they give you and you can get other containers for making that mixture of saline like material and then just kind of flush and the it reason through. you do you're saying to do that is it's a little gentler on the nose it's gentler on the nose you do just water it 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 uh, it sucks the water the osmotic pressure pushes water into the the tissue and makes it swollen a little bit so you 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 prefer a nice normal saline that's in the same it's isotonic it's got the same tone of of a salt in it that, that your body your does, body does. Ah. and so to get <coughs> isotonic uh, solution you make your own with just salt in water but the you know everybody talks about an isotonic gargle <coughs> But they pour four. My dad used to put a, a quarter of a cup of salt with a <laughs> cup of water. I mean, Didn't that's hypertonic. That, that that draws the fluid out of the cell. So you want to get it close to a normal saline, which would be, you know, probably a quarter of a teaspoon per cup of warm water. And that's like all that. you need. And that's that would do it, rather yeah. than just the plain water. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've learned a lot about neti pots and infectious diseases, but we're going to take our final break. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. Happy to have you listening. Dr. Holm and Tony Holm are both here, ready to answer your questions of a medical nature. As we mentioned at the top of the show, tomorrow night's television show is Preventing Infectious Diseases, and I'm just wondering how important hand washing is. You know, <coughs> uh, the, I always think about Semmelweis. Semmelweis was the Australian gentleman who really pushed the hygiene theory uh, that uh, that we are spreading diseases with dirty hands, and he was in the 1840s with this, and we, it hadn't he 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 didn't have the patience to to p 
improve it and then and then realize that people are going to hold on to the old ideas and to convince them and then prove it again and and be in what he did was just blow up and called everybody crazy and 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 eventually he ended up in a psychiatric hospital and died and <clears throat> his idea uh, came from where med students would go to the autopsy room where women would die from an infection in their uterus right after babies they would have staph and strep infections and they would with their bare hands would examine the parts and go oh that's terrible so sorry why did these women get this terrible illness and then they would go up onto the clean wards where they would examine the ba women about to have babies and spread that disease. and spread that infection oh, in there and and uh, Semmelweis saw that the women who are the poor women that didn't have the uh, you know the advantage of the best teachers with their students they just popped in and popped their baby and you know they the midwives would deliver the babies they did better and the analysis and the idea and then he did an intervention and Clean the ha cleanse the hands of anybody examining buddy with carbonic acid and I mean terrible horrible stuff uh, and then they dropped it it dropped the death rate uh, and uh, but he wouldn't convince people <coughs> and he didn't have the patience see that part of the whole story is it's just like uh, if you can be the greatest scientist with the greatest information but you don't spread the word in a proper way you don't get it out there uh, and you, 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 maybe this show is an example. You got to have a, a little bit of entertainment value so that people will actually listen, and get the real stuff. No one wants to listen to a half-hour lecture, right? No. no. So uh, no. anyway, hand washing came from that, and uh, and that's what we would say is the very best way to clean your hands is sing Happy Birthday that long, washing your hands in the in the sink, and uh, uh, and then if uh, it's a respiratory thing, the the sanitizers work really well. If it's a GI problem, you know, someone has diarrhea and you're examining somebody, you got to do hand washing because the sanitizers don't kill the Salmonella shigella in, enough. So those are the take-home There are a couple of things out in the news recently that uh, the hand sanitizers aren't that great. I don't They're I don't know very they good for upper respiratory. Right. And they're using them in preoperative uh, and they've and proven you've seen them everywhere. You see yeah. them in church and yeah. just about any place you go for good reason. They really are helpful and they They're will helpful. help prevent any other ideas on preventing infectious diseases. Cover you your do. cough and then after you've blown into your disposable tissue or if you have nothing in it, it's a, a sneeze that you can't stop, go into your shoulder or your elbow and then uh, wash your hands or use a sanitizer before you touch anybody. No, you can spread infection. So on our own, we really can prevent infections. Yeah, Joni. Try to uh, open your the bathroom door. You're in a public place. After you wash your hands, use the hand towel to open the door. And you get your clean hands. Hope I mean, uh, saying that you are washing your hands after using the bathroom facilities, mm -hmm. and then use the towel to open <laughs> the door so that that germy handle doesn't reinfect you. Where uh, or. Uh, also use the towel to turn the sink off. The right. The there's just there's off. ways of of improving on your hand washing, yeah. I guess, with that. Okay. Well, we found this program interesting, and we have run through our half hour. But we do hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc Radio program, and we'll listen again for Prairie, Prairie Doc, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. As also always, you can hear and see more from Dr. Holm online at prairiedoc.org.